Peace, peace, peace. I am Philip Roundtree, and you're tuned into episode 54 of Hashtag You Good Man. In this episode, I had the privilege of being joined by several good brothers who offered their honest thoughts on rape culture, consent, accountability, and allyship. I hope you enjoy it, but more importantly, I hope you gain some insight into just exactly how some men feel when it comes to these topics. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and share with a brother who could benefit from this conversation. Now, this topic, I'm going to let you know where this topic stems from. I wanted to have a real conversation on rape culture, right? I was listening to a podcast. Everybody know who my favorite rapper is uh, of of all time, him and Kanye. And people are going to be like, yo, what's up, with your, what's up with your two favorite rappers? But Joe Button. Joe Button is one of my favorite rappers. and He has his podcast. Listen, he's not paying me for this promotion, so we're going to keep it moving. But in listening to the conversation that they were having about a mutual friend and acquaintance of theirs, that the conversation was on accountability. It was on rape culture. It was on consent and it was on allyship. When I first was listening to it, I started to cringe because I was like, yo, this is this is toxic. But then I had to take a step back. I had to take a step back and, and recognize, you know what? I wasn't always this disadvanced, this disinformed, right? You know how new Christians are, right? When they a babe in Christ. Now, nah, listen, I, you know, I ain't going into it. This ain't about beliefs, about religion or what have you. But you know how they are. You might have been drinking on Saturday, but as soon as you get saved and baptized on Sunday, you start looking down on the people who were once who were doing the things that you once did. And so I had to check myself. I had to to show them some grace because, yes, on the continuum, when we talk about rape culture and consent, I may be a little, quote unquote, further along, but I don't know what their experiences were. But the the fact they were able to just have this conversation on such a huge platform, I found it to be something that was needed, something that was necessary. And now my thing was, you know, how can I help push this conversation forward? And so with that, I, I've reached out to, to several people, several brothers of mine who I know um, are really out here doing the work when we talk about when we talk about men's wellness, men's mental health, emotional well uh, emotional well-being, spiritual and physical. And it was just like, I need these brothers to come on so we can have this conversation. Right. So, again, so we could take it another step forward. Um, we're going to try to bring in Brother Tyrone right now real quick. Let's see. Brother Tyrone, you with us? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, man, beautiful, man, beautiful. I was nervous. I was nervous. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, for sure, for sure. And so with that, I'm going to get into the to the introduction of our guest for the day. So the brother who I just welcome in is Mr. Tyrone Melvin, who's a community outreach specialist. He's trained in sexual assault counseling, and he's a survivor. So I appreciate you having you here, brother. We have Dr. Charles Corporal, who is the host of the What's Your Revolution podcast. He is based in New Orleans, Louisiana. I still haven't made it out there, but these flights is about $52, right? <laughs> Round trip. So I might have to have to take a trip down there. So peace to you, brother. Thank you for joining us. Man, I'm, I'm excited to be here with you, brother. No doubt. No doubt. We have Mr. Jason Rosario. He is the creator, founder of The Lives of Men and the Hey Jason podcast. Peace to you, brother. My God, thanks for having me. Appreciate no it. No doubt, no doubt. We have our professional Negro dancer in Korea. See, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to say Negro dancer, but I feel like the people know every Monday for, <laughs> since what? Zane's January? 
Since January, I've been calling you that. So now we have professional dancer and creator, Mr. Zane Booker in the building. Peace, Zane. Hey, what's up, everybody? And last but certainly not least, we have the good brother, Michael Olnick, master's level social worker in the building. Peace, Mike. How are you? Good, good. Always good to be out here with you. No doubt, no doubt. So are are you enjoying this uh, graduate, having graduated from Temple University uh, the last few weeks? Have you been enjoying your time, your downtime? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's been kind of weird because it's a a graduation without a graduation. So it was kind of an end without an ending. So it's been kind of strange, but it is done. I did complete it. They will be sending me a degree. So it is real. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but you haven't gotten it yet. (laughs) <laughs> no, they haven't okay. with me. What do you all right, yeah. Well, make sure you get that because you know, all when we see that degree, that's just money. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's money, money that it is, that's exactly it's a it's a it's a big receipt. So again, brothers, we're gonna dive right into it, right? Just into this idea of of rape culture. Now, I you know, and I sent you guys the link of the podcast. Not sure if you had the opportunity to listen. But I, I do want to get your initial thoughts on just that topic of rape culture, if indeed you had the opportunity to listen to the podcast and then rape culture in general. So and I and I, I guess we'll start with you, Tyrone, since, you know, this is definitely your, your specialty, your niche. I actually didn't get a chance to uh, review the video, but I do understand uh, the consent and the rape culture and how it's impacting our communities, uh, devastating our communities and how. Uh, that kind of toxic behavior has been normalized and perpetuated and how it looks in the black community. Uh, so I, I think it's great that we have various men from different backgrounds talking about consent and how the rape culture impacts us as a whole, as a collective, and how it destroys communities, definitely. Word, word. So can you, can you delve into a little bit of, of just what exactly rape culture is from a professional so, standpoint? For- I don't know that I would look at it from a professional standpoint, but I'll say consent is anything that you give that you give permission to as it relates to the word. Yes. Anything that's if if yes is never given as permission, then the opposite of that would be no. Uh, When it comes to rape, there's various types of rapes. There's little nuances that go into that. Uh, And so we as men, uh, we're unaware of how our behavior are impacting the women, how we inappropriately touched them or how we think that something that was consented to the first time is automatic sec- the second time. And so, you know, uh, we hear terms like uh, you drawing if the man doesn't get the response or the reaction that he got the first time. And so I have to repeatedly remind brothers that sex is something that should be consented to every time and just because a woman consent to an act one particular time it doesn't mean that it's automatic everything should be consent consented to repeatedly uh because we all have moves it's it's like uh you know it's like it's like taking a bike ride you can't just go pick up somebody else's bike and just ride it you have to get permission and so there's little nuances little languages uh understanding body languages understanding when someone looks discomfort. We have to talk about all these different things because these things play into rape. And, you know, that word rape is kind of broad. It's not just a, this little small thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so Jason, I, w- I want to get to you because yeah. I know you do a lot of work with with men and the idea of masculinity. Those who know me know I hate the term toxic masculinity because at the end we of the day, we're talking. <laughs> and I always preface it by saying that because at the end of the day, we're talking about what does it take to be a healthy human being. Right. And what behaviors it takes to be a healthy human being. So some are unhealthy, some are unhealthy. But again, uh, we're arguing semantics. But when we talk about this idea of men and masculinity and just this overarching idea of rape culture, what has been your experience um, just when we talk about those those uh, those behaviors, those ideas that impact um, how men that you that you've worked with see the world? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a such an incredibly important topic. Um, and, and I think just to take a, a step back to understand, to help whoever's watching this that might be new to this conversation, maybe understand a little bit about why it's so sensitive and why it's so top of mind for us right now. And that is because for men, you know, the ways that we've been socialized almost as a, almost like a rite of passage, if you will, that the, the conquering of women, as it were, uh, and sex and 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 physicality and and coming into our own in that way is is something to be celebrated. And without we get that and we get those messages without a clear set of rules and a clear set of what is what is uh, healthy behavior in this space as it relates to men and women engaging. And so when you think about why men are so confused at a time like this, where post me too, not to say that we're in a post Me Too world, I think Me Too is the world, right? Like this new normal is the world that we live in. Um, I think why men are so confused is because you're now, they're questioning not only past actions, but they're also questioning instances in which um, in the past they, they didn't have to think about consent, right? So they're asking questions like, you know, I'm at work, uh, can I not compliment someone? Um, am I, I'm, at a, I'm on a date and I was told that the initial kind of no is like a permission or an invitation to continue forward, right? And and if you don't continue forward, that's almost an indictment on you and your manlyhood, right? So all of these things are, are learned behaviors that we have to help men take a step back and unpack and understand where it comes from so that we can start to really engage them in a conversation that is healthy and productive as it relates to what our roles are now, given, given the, 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 the new normal that we live in, um, and and help men understand what our responsibility is more important in in our in policing our own behaviors and each other's behaviors at least to how we relate to women. So there's there's a context here that I think is is important for men to understand before we start moving and trying to help remedy behaviors, if you will. Were were what what I want to do right now is I, I want to post this um this diagram up and those who are watching you'll be able to see it as well it's a rape culture diagram um and i i I, you know i'll talk about my issues with the diagram a little bit later in the conversation but i think when we talk about this idea of rape culture and hopefully you you brother you brothers can see it right we see that it it stems from again a lot of societal conditioning right so when we talk about sexist attitudes when we talk about rape jokes when we talk about locker room banter just this idea of um things that's been normalized right things that's been normalized and how that permeates our thinking and when it comes to uh again how we see the world i don't i don't want to make it specific for um you know, again, this is a this is an endemic to those who identify as heterosis males, right? 
uh, or this goes to those who of, of differing identities, uh, those of differing sexualities. And I, I think that's a, a great time to come to you, Zane, um, because I, I do would like to, to understand just your perspective in, in general when it comes to the societal conditioning that that's impacted again how those who identify as male see the world i I saw somebody say no i actually read it and it was just like listen we've all grown up in rape culture right and so it's difficult for us to to now change the dial for a lot of us so if you could speak to that i mean so even before you decide who you who you want to be with or who you well let me speak specifically and personally even before I decided who or gave in to who I was attracted to sexually, I was still around men who were mostly heterosexual. Like I had fortune, the good fortune of growing up with two fathers. I had a stepfather and I had a father who were both in my life at the same time. And um, I remember looking back and seeing how I would repeat certain phrases like come here woman or these kind of things that were definitely um you know misogynistic at worst or you know insensitive at best you know what i mean um so you pick up and you learn what's in your environment and i think when it came to sexuality or consent or rape and that kind of thing it was a dominance that you felt that men had over women or tried to have over women because a lot of a lot of women weren't having that at least you know, at least in their energy. And I think you you grow up thinking that you have this dominance over women, not even consciously. And so the being gay, that didn't I didn't really start to to realize how I expressed that dominance until, you know, I was in teaching situations or I was in situations where I could feel I wasn't honoring a woman for her fullness. So in my space, I recognize that feeling of of um, privilege or dominance that I had. And I had to start to roll that back and just sort of identify it, you know, like with my sister or with with people that I worked with. Recently, I had to check myself um, in terms of favoritism with two colleagues. I was like, you know, I love men. So I always have to make sure I'm not favoring men just because I love men. You know what I mean? And to check myself, was I dominating this woman or pushing her out? I wanted to be fair, but it's a it's a sense of dominance, um, a sense that we have we have a right to dominate you. Yeah, yeah. like we've been given this right, and you have to you have to first recognize it because it's hard to recognize because it's it's so uh, practice. It's so practiced, and it's so it's almost it's not invisible. But it's accepted in a way that you don't realize that it's there. Like you watch two people argue and then you think that they're equal until the physical part comes into play. Like mm. I can remember my, I can remember not my father, not my my real father, but I can remember my father was a very soft spoken man. He didn't argue. He would leave the room before he'd argue. But I remember my stepfather and my mom argued. And it wasn't until, you know, not that he got physical, but I remember he punched a wall one time. So that was a, a, a show of force that I, that I, you know, took on and didn't realize I took that on. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I, I definitely appreciate that response. I, I want to go to you, Mike, and just get your thoughts on just this whole idea because you did message me say, "Yo, I listened to the podcast, yeah. and you know, I had some thoughts on it." So, just your ideas, um, and your thoughts related to the topic of of rape culture. You know how men are conditioned, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, just the uh, like I did check out the podcast, and like you, there were moments where I was like, yeah. Like they're close to they're close to getting to something that could be used, but they're also like kind of on the line of still being really supportive of it or almost like hand waving at it, not really talking about it fully. Um, but then mm-hmm. I had to also like you think about like, well, where are they at in their process? Because there there is something like cancel culture that plays into this and mm-hmm balancing that while we're also talking about something as serious as rape culture, because it is like, like Zane just hit on, it is somewhat insidious, right? Because it's so built into our societal scripts that we tell ourselves and kind of like what's already been echoed here is there's like this expectation of deservedness. Like I deserve that woman. And therefore I have an expectation that I'm going to get her. And it's, it's like, taught to us from like a like look at like little kids that are like two-year-olds and they got a ladies man shirt on right it's like Mm, little subtle messaging yeah Yeah, there's it's all over our society and we have to the one thing that let me down with that podcast was is they kept saying if it's my friend i'll say something like there had to be an established relationship for them to call somebody out when it's the, the bigger problem is what are you signal boosting as a man in the world? Like, are you giving off solutions? Are you giving off actions? Are you giving off the right words that show someone that they can't treat women with this expectation that they deserve them? Like, it's not a, just about who my friend is. I need to be, I need to be putting off the energy that says, I understand that I come from a point of privilege as a man in a patriarchal society. And I need to recognize that I need to like work against that and use my privilege for power. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's why I appreciate you bringing men together to discuss this. Cause we do need to do that. For sure. For sure. And, and last but not least, doc, Dr. Charles love to get your perspective on, on the topic at hand. So bro, this, this is an interesting topic to hear you all speak because I feel like, I feel like we're still missing the point because we are talking about rape culture just when it comes to heterosexuality, men raping women and the rape culture. And we know that rape exists across the spectrum and men, men uh, are the lion's share of violence towards people. And so I don't want us to miss out on that point when it comes to that we've normalized the, as, as Zane says, we have normalized the dominance of men, but I don't want to leave out uh, other populations that men dominate. And so that's, that's, that's my take. I didn't get a chance to really listen to the entire podcast. Yeah. Um, but I love what Michael said is, is that they kept harping on if this is my friend. You know, and in my growth as both a scholar and a practitioner and as a personal man, I, you know, we see it play out. And how do we hold ourselves accountable for our own actions? As Michael said, when it comes to our privilege as a man, how do we step forward and not have, you know, as we talk about the bystander effect 
and make sure that not, we're not standing on the sidelines when things happen. Because as you said, Phil, we are evolving. We're hoping that we're evolving people. We're evolving right, humans. And so if we begin to continue to dehumanize people, right, all we're doing is just advocating for rape culture to continue to exist because we're allowing for the dehumanization to exist. And so I don't want to miss out on this point where we're just sitting talking about men raping women. And so I don't want that everybody watching that this is a conversation that should be about everybody that's involved in this process. Listen, I, I completely agree, uh, Dr. Charles. You know, it's actually, I was going to get to that. I didn't know if you were going to touch on it or not. But everybody that, that again, that knows me, and I talked about it with that, with that rape culture diagram, a phenomenal diagram that it is, I feel that, again, we were looking at it from a perspective that this is endemic to heterosis men, right? And so when we talk about survivors, survivors come in, in different um, different identities, right? And so, and so with that, I, I, what I found lacking in a lot of the, in the literature and the information that I and the resources that I found, even though I understand what this is statistically what it looks like, right? But it never talks. Rarely does it talk from men in a survivor from a survivor's perspective, right? And so that's why I think it's important to have people like Tyrone on who identifies as a survivor. Um, that we do have this perspective. Again, it's it's men uh, quote unquote, perpetrating against women. It's men perpetrating against other men. It's women perpetrating against men and boys. And I think that it's it's critical that we we recognize that in this conversation that we're all involved in this, right? And it's not even though we understand that the you know where the majority of the offenses and a lot of the the inappropriate behaviors that we talk about the normalization and the degradation of people you know especially when it gets to the assault phase we know that it's primarily men and women and so with that it had me thinking of just about this idea of just the normalization piece and i know mike talked about it when he talked about a child with the ladies man shirt and and how just the imagery and so many it, it, that comes from so many different avenues. And I just think for me, uh, I, I just try to think back, like, when did I, I begin to, to learn that this is what the world was, right? Well, from a, a patriarchal perspective. And for me, it was, I always attributed to hip hop. Right. And I understand the influence that patriarchy has had on on hip hop and then, you know, the misogyny and the misandry that comes with that. But for me, it, it played a big influence in in my life. It influenced how I saw other men. It influenced how I saw uh, other other how I saw women. And it took me a while to come to that realization, even though I found myself identifying as somebody who I knew listening to too short, it was something wrong about it. Right. Lupe Fiasco, he raps about, you know, I heard Jay-Z use the word B, right. Say to say the B word, bitch, I guess, you know, I get scared about saying it, um, you know, and say that, but then you step back and it was just like, no, it's something wrong about that. But, not having the courage or the understanding or the wherewithal to really step up and say, you know what, this is wrong. It really took me until my thirties to really get into this, to, to become comfortable with self to where I can say, nah, that's not a good look. 
Right. When we talk about just the normalization and unlearning so much that I've learned, and I'd be interested to learn about you guys as influencers, influences that really has shaped you. Right. Not because, again, we could speak out and talk about other men and what we see and hypotheticals. But more importantly, I'm interested in hearing about you and what shaped how you see the world as those who identify as men. I'll, I'll jump in on this um, and I'll share a personal story that I think helps to illustrate, you know, the, the, the type of conditioning that we that we're succumbed to. So as a young man, I was sexually abused by a family member, a woman. And when you think about young men who are just, who are molested versus young women that are molested, usually when a young man is molested, it's it's celebrated like you know almost like again like a rite of passage. You made it, now you're a man, uh, type of thing. And so, it, in some ways, what think about the messages that that sends to these young men, you know, about sex and about physicality and about the ways that and, and about his body really and and how he uses his body. Um, I think that's fundamentally, you know, one thing that has shaped me in the ways that I move about the world and just being extra sensitive when it comes to, I'm, I'm not going to say that I always specifically and, and, and explicitly ask for consent, but I've always been aware of my role and kind of the ways that I interact with women um, or just whether I'm romantically linked or not, just the ways that I interact with women. So I think that for me was a foundational uh, 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 experience, but then you know, moving forward when it comes to, I think you both alluded to this, uh, Charles and, and, and Phil, about uh, holding yourself and others accountable. For me, it's, it really is fundamentally about what, what are you willing to risk, right? If you really want to move beyond the conversation uh, on a kind of broad level and really start to attack um, action items and action behaviors, uh, then yeah, what, what are you willing to, to risk? Because I think about men who have talked to me about seeing something taking place in the street corner and being afraid for their own safety and not speaking up because of that. So how do we reconcile that versus doing the right thing just because it's the right thing? Whether whether or not it's sacrificing our safety, sacrificing our, our relationships, et cetera, I think that's the level of, of, of questioning that we have to have for ourselves and others to really move the needle, in my opinion. Yeah, Jason, um... I totally agree with that. There's a there's a cachet that you have to actually like critically think about as you begin to address this. And people like Phil who have this platform have the privilege to, you know, address that. But in everyday life, that 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 moment to moment cachet that you have to think about, what am I going to give up potentially or what am I going to gain in this cachet for this? Is that thought process? Do I call my boy out? Do I call that dude out? Right in front of his people and what happens, and then you know, I could be a hero. Everybody's thinking like, "Hey, I should have done this," or you know, or a victim, or yeah, a victim. Or, right? Yeah. E exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I. I, I go ahead. What's go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Zay. So I, I'm trying to. I was listening to what Charles said, and I was listening to to um, what Jason said, and I'm I'm just thinking about sex in general and how that space is such a taboo space in America and that a lot of things that happen in secret are related to rape and that kind of thing. And so even in the gay culture, and that's what I was trying to think, I directed my answer toward a certain type of um, way of being that I felt like I've adapted even in the gay culture, right, of being a dominant person. Um, 
and and what that means when it comes to sex. And then I heard Jason tell his story and I'm thinking that's the same in the gay culture because it's a rite of passage to have sex with an older person. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You never think of it as rape, right? And and it 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 changes the way we can we understand things. Even if you don't know that immediately and even if you don't identify it until you're older, it changes the way you 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 think about relationships and boundaries. You know what I mean? Because once the boundaries become blurred, it's it's difficult later in life not to know that they're not there, but it's easier to, to blur those boundaries again, right? To cross those boundaries because they've been crossed by you and and it's celebrated in a way, especially when you're a male yeah. having sex with an older person. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I definitely agree 100% what uh what he just said. I, I myself I experienced sexual uh molestation for about 10 years from an older female cousin and I also experienced being inappropriately touched by uh a male teacher. No penetration, but a touch is a, a, a bad touch is a touch. But ironically, in the midst of having that 10 year relationship with that older cousin. One of the things I, you, you know, when I think back and I reflect, uh, she wasn't the only one. So, you know, I didn't realize for a year that although I blamed myself for being a womanizer, for taking advantage of women, and I've never really had to work for women. I've always gotten attention. So it was just there for me, but it wasn't until uh, uh, my old therapist, who's like a big sister to me, uh, RG Allen said to me, Stop blaming yourself. Did it ever occur to you that you also were being taken advantage of? You've had women throw themselves at you or position themselves in places where they could take advantage of you because you were always vulnerable uh, because you had no boundaries, which I did not. Yeah. I didn't know how to protect myself. I didn't even know. You know, I knew how to say no to the ones that I wasn't attracted to. But I didn't know how to say no when I really didn't want to do it. You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I would have sex with a woman uh and then immediately after the act was over i would go jump in the shower and try to wash the shame away mm. uh and who could i talk to about because you know it was like wow i really didn't want this happen but i had no self-control i had no boundaries clearly i didn't have self-esteem but i also didn't have respect for myself and i realized as i proceeded and got older i also didn't respect women but that was a lot that had a lot to do with the trauma yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, and and you don't you know you don't always have to rape someone to hurt them. I didn't know how to respect women, and that was largely due to my own trauma because I didn't have respect for myself, nor did I have the foundation. So I used the 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 culture of taking advantage of vulnerable women who I would get them before they get me. You you get what I'm saying? You learn yeah. that behavior as a coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Mike. I think the idea, everybody kind of hit on the idea of boundaries so far. And I think that's key because mm -hmm. when I reflect back on how I was brought up, right? I was brought up by a single dad who had two sons, right? Hardly ever home because he was working to support us. We taught ourselves, right? That means I'm learning from my friends. That means I'm learning from media. So I'm learning from TV, movies, mm -hmm. whatever. And we're not teaching kids consent and boundaries right we and like listen that's not just for for girls that's for little boys too they need to know Absolutely. what body autonomy is they need to know what consent is 
because we 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 have these it's kind of like we were talking about last week when we get we ascribe ideas to either masculine or feminine traits but just because we think boys are rough and tumble we don't don't handle themselves no man they they need a conversation about what their body is what consent is yeah and it's about it's about having conversations that are uncomfortable like jason was talking about like what am i willing to sacrifice in this moment for an uncomfortable conversation and bringing it back to what dr charles said i think it's like we don't always have to do a call out but we do need to like a come to like a conversation like a moment where i approach another human being and just say like listen i saw what just happened i was wondering if you'd like to have a conversation about it because i think sometimes we go right into like pitchforks and torches and we want to we want to drag someone through the streets and uh yeah i think sometimes we need to like balance that but it's yeah. really about education for me like we gotta educate kids younger about what autonomy and consent looks like word uh let me Absolutely. post this comment so Akia Waller says sex and boundaries because we fear speaking uh, speaking about sex as a society we continue to not understand the boundaries or discuss them De- definitely agree uh, I, I know you had your hand up, Zane. You wanted to comment? No, I was just going to say that, um, I mean, we do, what we teach is, is not nuanced. I mean, it, it, if you learn anything from a Judeo-Christian perspective, is don't do it until you're married, right? And don't sit on somebody's lap and don't go into so-and-so's house and these kind of things. So you're, you're learning boundaries, but there's no nuance to those boundaries. And it only creates mystery by the way we have the conversation about it. Because I remember my grandmother and, and, and family members, you know, correcting sexual behavior, but in a way that was so awkward and so bizarre that you walked away being more confused about the correction <laughs> than anything. Yeah. yeah. Like, I remember I used the word virgin before, and the answer, the, the solution that my, my aunt and uncle gave was to send my cousin and myself out on the porch, and this is what my cousin said to me. So, virgin like the Virgin Mary. I was like, yeah. And that was the end of the conversation. I was still confused and I can't remember right now what the, how that came up. You know what I mean? Whether they overheard me use the word virgin. But they were so scared to, to have a real discussion, a nuanced discussion about boundaries and sexuality and body that it was just don't do it. And if it came up, the conversation was so confusing that that. But can I add that you felt even more anxiety around yeah, that? I, uh, real, real quick, uh, no, it's and it just goes to the same point. Uh, just especially when we talk about our, our older generation, I was at a, a mental health symposium that was that was had here maybe about two to three years ago, held by uh, former state senator Vincent Hughes, and we were talking about mental health. Uh, a sex therapist stood up. And she was having a conversation about the importance of, of sex to our mental health. And it was just like all the old church ladies started clutching their pearls. Right. And so it was this idea that and you can tell they were so uncomfortable with the conversation that it would lead one to believe that they weren't. They didn't view themselves as sexual beings. Right. They were they viewed themselves as I, I hate to say concubines, too, but they're supposed to be there at their husband's whim. Right. And that was the, the and I was started listening to some of the chatter. And that's what was that's what I was hearing. And so to Zane's point, yeah, a lot of our older generation, you know, 
that was something that was definitely uncomfortable for him. And so here it is, me being 36. I don't ever think I learned about sex from from my parents. I learned about it from my friends. I learned about it from from watching porn. I learned about it from from Red Shoe Diaries at midnight. But everything except from the <laughs> I said no, midnight. I about that show. <laughs> you know, I, I learned about it from every other place except from um, except from, you know, the person who loves me the most, which is my mother. And so even me having a conversation with my my daughter, you know, I do have a stepson, my son, but I didn't have the conversation with him because I just found it to be extremely awkward, extremely uncomfortable. And so we continue to pass these things along. But also what we're passing along is, again, this this normalized behavior when it comes to sex. Right. Go ahead, Tyrone. So, you know, so one of the things that I think gets left out of the conversation when we're talking about consent and boundaries, especially when we're talking to our kids, we sometimes forget to tell our kids that that includes them uh, having boundaries, even with us as parents or other family members, because I feel like what's get left out when we're having these conversations, we're always talking to them about boundaries as it relates to sometimes strangers, maybe people we don't know. But a lot of times the abuse comes from people we know and we don't know how to protect ourselves to the people who have the most access to us. So you get what I'm saying? So, you know, I, like with my grands, I always tell my grands, you know, nobody has to play with you. You have to give people their space to say yes or no. I want to play with you or I don't want to play with you now or set boundaries. You can set boundaries even with your siblings. So I feel like, you know, when we're educating our kids, we have to educate them in a way that they even know how to protect themselves with family members, because I think that's who we're most vulnerable to, because we're talking we we sometimes still stuck on that stranger danger thing. Yeah. Uh, And so the yeah. So the people that really have access to us are the people who are in close proximity with us every day. So I, I feel like there's a a lot of ways we can have this conversation, but we also have to prep them and include ourselves in the conversation and say, Hey, even if you don't feel like getting a kiss from daddy or grandpa, tell me, I don't feel like that. And I have to respect, because I think you're teaching them boundaries and consent. You're giving them permission to make a decision for themselves that can, I believe could help them protect themselves in the future. Yeah, I, I want to get to this next question. And Jason, I'm gonna start with you because Zane talked about the the about the idea of consent in particular being so nuanced. Um, and and Tyrone hit on that as well. Do you think consent is as black and white as it's often portrayed? And and I, just a little background again. I was you know been doing research and I've had this conversation at the at the men's group, and I was looking today at the Indiana University of Pennsylvania, which is a state college here in Pennsylvania. And I was looking at their 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 website and some information that they were sending about the idea of consent. And it was just like, you have to get a yes, right? In every situation. And I was just like, I was taken aback, right? I understand the 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 premise behind it. I understand what their intent is, or maybe I don't, right? But but again, so many situations are nuanced. I think for them, it's the idea of, listen, we don't want any issues. We don't want the school being the news for any reason, right? So listen, we're going to make it as plain as this. It's black or white. If you don't get a yes in any situation, then don't do it. And so I want to ask you, again, 
is consent as black and white as as many make it out to be? Yeah, I'm glad that you got here because uh, I was actually going to bring up the fact that context is important as it relates to this conversation. So, you know, I was watching this. It's funny. I was watching this uh, stand-up uh, comedian, Paul Burr, and he was making a joke about consent and this exact topic. And he was saying that if in same scenario, it just depends on who's viewing that scenario. But the scenario was, you know, you're on a date and, you know, you're approaching, you're maybe making your move, as they say, you're making that first move. And the woman gives you kind of this coy no that you read as her initial kind of what she needs to do to protect herself, right? Check the box, but it's still an invitation for you to continue the advance. Um, he's like, look, if you get a bad read in court, that's the, that's the end of you, right? Because it depends on the context, right? And I think that's, that's the important part is that we've been taught that the, that initial no is actually an invitation for a, for a, a, a yes down the line. And so you are to proceed past that. Um, I, I don't think it's black and white. I think that it, it does depend on, you know, another example, with, if you're at work, um, I think men, one thing that we don't give us, ourselves enough credit for is that we do know right and wrong. And we do have intuition. It's just that we don't pay attention to that intuition. We kind of just bulldoze over it. But you know, when you're in an environment, you're talking to a woman or you're talking to someone who, uh, you might have dominance over, um, you know, when what's too far and what, what line there is and what, and where you're, when you're getting close to that line. And so I think it, it is incumbent upon us to be mindful of that, but it also is important to just have a conversation if there is some doubt. And I think that's where some maybe eliminate, that's where you can eliminate some of the, the gray area is that if you are in conversation and you might be a little bit unsure you don't know what what the, the what the feeling is in that in that dynamic. Then ask a question. You know, okay. is this feel good for you, right? Is, is this, you know, is this? Are you vibing with this right now? And I think it doesn't necessarily have to be a mood killer, but there's a way that you can learn to ask questions in, in a way that that doesn't make it awkward, but still gets you the clarity that you both deserve in that in that dynamic. Word word. Dr. Charles, what about you? Is, do you find, uh, do you think bl- consent is as black and white as society tends to make it out to be? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jason, I appreciate the answer. I think in the, I think in the culture that we live in, I think in our everyday instances, consent is everything. Uh, regardless whether it's about sex or whether it's about a conversation, it's about a compliment that you're going to give to a person. Consent is black and white uh, because at the end of the day, we've, we've, I feel like we've talked about this from the, the male's perspective or, or the person like we've got to protect that person, right? Or that person has to be protected. No, we've got to stop people from taking liberties against people right without having consent and i think we miss we miss that point right i don't you know what happens my colleague i I work with some super dope women uh, where i work right they're also super attractive right so if i want to say like hey you've got on a nice dress on today i first ask them like can i give you a compliment right because that signals to them like i have i still am retaining my power like you saying, oh, you look great in that dress. I've taken away their power and I never want to do that. But that's the evolution of me as a man, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I would 
normal, right? As a younger man, man, you look really good. That's you look hot in those jeans or or whatever, and not knowing that that makes like I don't want to hear that. And to have so many women out there saying, or so many people out there saying, like, I don't really want to hear that. That's not that's not what this is about. And so I, in my opinion, think consent is is black and white. You have to achieve consent before you move forward. That's it. That's my perspective, though. So, so let me ask you this. So what are there areas in our life where where we don't necessarily seek consent? Right. I think we're looking at it from a from a macro perspective when we talk about uh, sexually engaging with another person or touching somebody potentially in a sexually uh, a sexual way or an intimate way. But even when we look at things at a, at a micro level, when we talk about when we see somebody and uh, giving them a hug, right, or a handshake or various things, all of these things are things where cons- we don't necessarily seek consent. But it's it's where there's assumptions made and where it's just implied. Right. Because that's just the norm of society. So. So what are your thoughts on that? Should we be asking for consent in every arena? Hey, is it cool if I shake your hand? Hey, is it if we seen Joe Biden get in trouble for putting his arm on? Well, he he went a little further, like caressing hair. Right. But putting your hand on somebody's shoulder to console them. I know me personally, with regards to the latter and putting my hand on somebody's shoulder, I've been more cognizant of that. Right. To say, hey, is it okay for me to put my hand on your shoulder, especially if if you're in a, a a mood which you know a sad mood or you know or, or what have you not if you're if you're happy but even still in a happy mood should we still be asking somebody in in day-to-day situations such as those i mean that's a good question brother and i think you know the hands the handshake is a uni- a universal thing that we go without consent right you're asking for consent when you put your hand out and somebody then puts their hand back to you. They've given you consent. But I still, I think if you, you know, if you don't know someone and you go up to hug them, right. That's still take, in my opinion, that's still taking away their power, right. Their ability, their ability to say, you know what, I don't know you, you're, you potentially are a threat. Why are you without consent wanting to hug me or put your hands on me or put your arms around me? And so to me, again, it goes back to, initially right you're asking for consent like i I understand that you might have had a bad day is it okay for me to give you a hug because Mm. that allows them to have power and i don't ever want to take away anyone's power yeah can i jump in on that yeah yeah i i appreciate how because i think jason and dr charles both have a point right and i think it's we're like the context of relationships before we have information, before we have knowledge of this person, consent is black and white. It is. It, it, you, have, you haven't found out about who they are. You need to get to know them. You need to figure out what they appreciate and what they don't appreciate, what makes them uncomfortable, what doesn't make them uncomfortable. And, but I think like when you've established a relationship, you do have to do a little bit more nuanced work because you do have to recognize certain tells. Because listen, Consent isn't always verbal. Sometimes it's nonverbal. Anyone that's been in a long relationship knows that there's nonverbal cues. You got to pick up on at times. And then I wanted to throw in there one thing that we haven't really talked about yet is that when we talk about consent, it's still so the act of sex focused. And I'm not even just talking about, I mean, penetration. That is like when we talk about consent, people have in their head this idea of like penetration, right? And uh, 
part of it is that our conversations on sex are so steeped in heteronormativity that that's what it's seen as. It's seen as like insertion, right? That's, that's sex. And one thing that we don't see in heterosexual relationships as much as you'll see in either like homosexual relationships where you have to, there's more navigating, right? You have to have some communication before you have sex with something. Like you have to figure out like what's their, or like, are they a top or are they a bottom, right? There's more, there's more navigating involved. Like, uh, like as a bi man, like meeting up with men, there was way more conversation ahead of time. Whereas with meeting up with women, it was more like, okay, well, it's only going to go this way. Yeah. So there's something wrong there, but we have to add nuance to that conversation. Listen, we're going to continue this conversation with consent, but I know uh, I'm about to call you Dr. Rosario. <laughs> well, that, well, forget it. We're going to call you Dr. Rosario anyway. I know you got to get ready to go. So I just want to yeah, get your work. last thoughts when it, when it comes to, and we're going to continue the conversation on consent for sure, but just get mm-hmm. your, your thoughts on just this idea of accountability and allyship and, and what that looks like. Uh, in what context, though? Just as just as far as when it when it comes to this idea of holding one another accountable, when we talk about when we talk about uh, brothers, our friends, our, you know, could be strangers, just and then the idea of allyship when it talks about those when we talk about survivors or those who are being perpetrated against. Yeah, well, I think as it relates to accountability, I think it's something that I said earlier. It's really just about questioning. Um, you know, how much you're willing to, to sacrifice or gain. I don't think it's a zero-sum game, but I do think it requires a, a level of um, stepping outside of your own interests uh, in order to do the right thing. Um, and, and that means if you're, if you're trying to be accountable to yourself, making sure that you're, you're policing yourself in that way, but also, you know, friends and, and people that you might observe doing things that are questionable, um, that accountability is stepping up to the plate, even if it feels uncomfortable. Uh, and then as far as allyship goes, I think it's something that we've always talked about, Phil, is, you know, allyship is is not something that you self-anoint. It's something that you've got to demonstrate through a track record. You know, what kind of track record have, do you have that demonstrates your allyship in action? Um, show me instances in which you have taken action on behalf of an underrepresented group or someone who is marginalized. And I think that, to me, as it relates to rape culture, it goes hand in hand with accountability, right? If you are and I didn't get a chance to finish uh, listening to the podcast, but what we're all talking about here is exactly that, is how do we become more accountable to ourselves and to each other? And then also how do we become allies to ourselves and to each other? And then to, you know, in the case of hetero normative relationships, women, right? And so how do we make sure we call each other out when we see each other stepping out of line? So to me, those two concepts go hand in hand. Listen, appreciate you, brother. Follow him on Instagram at Jason underscore Rosario. Peace, brother. Thank you, guys. Good one. No Thanks, Take care. So, so we're going to go to you, Zane. Yeah. And before you, I'm not sure how much of it you got to her because I know you got disconnected. Yeah. But just is yeah. consent as black and white as it's portrayed in society? Um, no, you like. Again, I, I, I think that you have to think about context, right? And so there's what, what Michael said is so true. And I think that's how there's so many things that are running through my head in terms of gay culture and consent. Um, so you're on a date. You know what I mean? What's the context? If, if somebody's body language is saying no, like, like 
uh, Jason said and like Dr. Charles was saying, we're not taught to say no. But in the gay culture, you negotiate a lot of things. And I was thinking about being at a sex party and how <coughs> even just a step away, you know what I mean? You step away from someone and that means no. And mm. that those things are understood in those spaces that even the smallest form of physical no means no. You know what I mean? That those in those spaces, you would think that they might be more open to rape, but the subtlety of nuance, things, they're no. So, yeah, so even the, the smallest thing can be misunderstood in those situations. But going back to the question, which I think I strayed away from, is it black and white? No, it's not black and white. But sometimes, yes, it is black and white. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you know, situational. like, I think. I think I, I just read I read I read Casey Lemon's book and how they used to pull trains. Was that consensual, really? You know what I mean? A lot of the train pulling uh, culture in our yeah. society and the, the way we the way we grow up, that's not really consensual. And the other thing that I wrote down while we were talking, like a lot of things are transactional. You know what I mean? Like men feel like sex is transactional. So if you feel if you walk into a situation feeling something is transactional, you're not looking for boundaries. You're looking to get what you think you put in, right? So your whole mm -hmm. mindset is wrong. So is how do you how do you create a nuanced situation when for him it's black and white? Because it's like I pay for dinner, we're going to have sex. So yeah. that's the black and white part. Everything else on the person, whether it's a male or a female, who's who's the 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 victim, so to speak, or who's the person who has to give the consent. You know what I mean? There, that's where the nuance comes. You know what I mean? That's where a reluctance is a no. You know what I mean? So I wanted to go on more about that transactional thing because I think... Yeah, well, I'm going to let you get to that. Cause I, matter of fact, go ahead. Get, okay. that, get that point off because it might be something Tyrone want to respond to. No, I was saying even in situations as a child, you know, and I, I, I've made mistakes in my life and I've been, uh, uh, been held myself accountable for those things and been through the fire and come out on the other side. And I think that what I learned is like a lot of things is misunderstood love, right? So even when you think that love is transactional, you some weird way, we learn that sex is love. And that's a confused, that's something that gets confused from a very young age. Yeah, I, I, I want to comment and on that, something. That hurts. Because yeah. I because I do see, you know, um, I see we have a, actually a lot of comments popping off. I'm not sure if y'all are able to see them or not. Um Let's see. So Afia said, she said, consent is not black and white when drugs and alcohol are involved for any gender. Ignoring those very common circumstances is negligent and dangerous. Uh, for sure. Let me see. The uh, Kalima Johnson, the use of called women and girls, females. And see, you know, I appreciate that comment, Kalima, for sure. And I, I appreciate you tuning in. But I think this is the exact reason why, right? Where... I decided once I started the hashtag you good man men's group, because, you know, I, I feel like that's a conversation for another time. And sometimes it gets lost. And so if you don't have brothers who aren't as aware, who aren't as evolved, granted, we might not be using the language that one may desire. Right. We might not be using the vogue language of today, but yet we're still trying to learn. We're still trying to understand the best that we can. And so I don't want to get I'm not going to call it minutia, but I don't want the focus to be put on you know, the language of somebody being called somebody using the, the term female. Right. But 
but I, I would rather the focus be and it's necessary because that could shame somebody from even continuing to converse and to have a conversation. And so I think it's important that we recognize that when it comes to to conversations with men about about topics that um, they're still trying to understand. And so and this is no shade to you at all. But again, I think and I know this goes to that point, Charles, that I that I wanted to have when it comes to why it might be particularly for men. Right. This conversation, because I don't want to get lost um, and, and have other conversations uh, come in. But no, I definitely appreciate you for tuning in. Um, let me see. So we have Keisha Danae Wadley. In a patriarchal society, the idea of asking for consent almost smacks men in the face as an indication of submission that they don't own everything and have dominance. How can men heal their need to dominate and see others as equal in asking for consent? Uh, feel free to comment on on those comments if if you choose, but we definitely gonna get to you, Tyrone, and get your thoughts on oh, the idea okay. of no. Go ahead, you could definitely give you yeah. No, I, I I do think in most cases it's black and white. I think the gray area is a gray area where there's a misunderstanding or there's no communication. You get what I'm saying? So I think when we're being honest, people in relationships we're afraid to ask certain questions and that's where the misunderstanding comes in at, or there's a gray area, gray area being, meaning someone mentioned it earlier. You can't consent to sex. If you're drunk, you can't consent to sex under the influence of drugs. You can't consent to sex. If you're asleep, you can, those are gray areas, but in most cases, the majority of things are black and white. Yes means yes. Uh, or, and no means no. Uh, there's a thing called body language. If somebody seems uncomfortable, that's a no. Nobody has to say it. You should, you know, if you're in touch or in tune, read their body language. I can clearly see when somebody's uncomfortable. Ask them, are they okay? Are you are you okay with moving forward? If not, let me know. You know, so it's it's about us being honest with ourselves. Uh, I, I think in most cases, our selfish desires come into play. So we're not concerned about the other person. We're trying to meet a need. And that that's just not always men on women. That works both ways because yeah. we're entitled. We see each other as objects, especially when our flesh is flaming. We have to be honest about those things. So there are some nuances. There are some gray areas. You know, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else want to want to jump in and chime in maybe on some of the comments that they've that they've read <laughs> you go <going> solid. <laughs> oh, no, no, go ahead. you got to read it back to me. Yeah, I, I, I read it I back think, to me. I think the, the, the one about intoxication is important. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because, again, that's, that's about context, right? And I think what Tyrone is saying is that for the majority of people who don't have, who are um, tone deaf in terms of body language or, or, or not even tone deaf, that's not the right word, who are so programmed to think that they deserve what's in front of them and they get what they want, they are ignoring the sign. So in those instances, and I think we have to be very specific about who, you know, because in a general way, things are black and white. And in a, in a general way, things yeah, are not and, black and white, right? Yeah, in well, a utopia, I mean, that's in a, a perfect world. What I'm trying yeah. to say is, yeah, what I'm trying to get at is, 
in situations where you feel resistance and you just bulldoze that, you know that you know that you did something wrong, but you you feel entitled to take it. Now, a lot of us don't operate in those spaces anymore, right? We don't we don't operate in those spaces. But a lot of people do, and I think that's where we get in trouble, is where you let you you let your privilege and your your expectation of what you're supposed to get in a transactional world. We we live in a capitalist world and sex is transactional. We we believe everything is transactional. And that maybe we don't believe it, but it's in our mind. So you uh-huh. you you know what I mean? You you I'm you, babbling now, but I, I'll stop. No, 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 no. It it makes complete sense. <laughs> I, I think when we when you when we talk about about you know intimate relationships in, in particular, you know, I think about dates, right? I think about me going on a date with a with a woman and and me not attempting to kiss her because I was too shy. And then it's you know, after several dates, it's like, yo, what took you so long? Right. For me to initiate it. So, again, that idea of consent, do I ask and say, hey, am I allowed to kiss you again? We we miss this, how it's practiced. Right. We we take out the human element the the there's there's so many things that when we say that it is black and white that we don't account for. Right. But and I think this goes to the to the point of it being nuanced. Again, when we add liquor or, you know, drugs into the equation, that definitely changes it. Uh, I, I can only speak to, to the liquor aspect of uh, that, that one time I smoked marijuana. Hi, mom, if you listen. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when we talk about alcohol, I might go go out with somebody. I might have a drink to take the edge off and they might have drink uh, or, or multiple drinks again. Technically, can either one of us consent? And I was reading some good information. I forget what university that was from, but it was just like, listen, if if you have any concern or confusion when it comes to consent, when alcohol is involved, especially when we talk about uh, 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 heterosis relationships, right? Uh, think about who typically the courts favor if we're if we're being honest in situations like this, right? think about it if wake up and, and somebody hey you know this wasn't supposed to happen whoever is the the initiator of it there's a high probability that they'll be the one uh prosecuted and so it was just like but again are we thinking about that in our day-to-day if we're trying to court somebody if you know again this it's so nuanced um yes as we said in child welfare you always want to err on the side of caution go ahead Zane, because it looks like you you your mouth is blowing up well, I just I'm I'm having I'm struggling with the word nuance and in yeah, the yeah in the way in the way we see what has transpired, right? It's not nuance for 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 somebody to grab somebody's titty. That's wrong, right? No, I, I, and I think that's when we talk about the the macros and the black and whites, the non-negotiables, like you right. know, rape. Okay, so that's no, the word. That's, that's not word. nuance. Touching somebody yeah. against their will. No, but you're, if you're on a date, and I'm not, you know, I'm not too well versed on Aziz Sazari's situation, right? Clearly, two perceptions of what happened when it comes to to their date or what have you, and we see this on on dates a lot of times, right? Um, where somebody might have differing perspectives, especially the ones that make the the news when it comes to celebrities. Um, but yeah, that's where the nuance comes in. Uh, be, false. The, the average situation there will be no arrest or charges. The courts and law enforcement favors the man. 
again, we can. I don't necessarily know if that's true, Amari. Well, right. Say it again. I mean, if you, if you're thinking about what 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 was the what the past was like. Well, yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. If we think about what the past is like for, and for how sure. we got here, you know yeah. what I mean? How we got here. Yeah, yeah. So, man. I mean, there is some truth with regard to a lot of these cases not being uh, a lot of these cases. Men aren't always convicted. So, oh, no, it, for it, sure. It, you know, so it, it you know, that's a, a nuance, if you will. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate. But again, I, I, I feel like the gray area comes down to conversation uh, and right. then asking certain questions up front. I feel, and I, I know it to be very true because when I have conversations with my female friends, uh, I notice it more with my female friends than my male friends. Uh, they're uncomfortable to have certain conversations because they want somebody to like them. You, you, you get what I'm saying? And my thing is give me, if I'm asking you something, I want you to give me the answer that I'm asking because what I don't want to happen is I don't want to misread you. I don't want you to take my choice away. So I'm asking for a reason. So I think when you have a conversation, it doesn't allow much room for a gray area. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. have to dive into what are your real, what, what are your turnoffs? What does that entail? Like, what are your turnoffs? Because you'll find a lot like there. I think I'm a, a happy go person, a happy go lucky person in most cases. But just because I'm a man doesn't mean I always like to be touched. There are times I don't want somebody in my space. I don't want you touching me. I don't want you hugging me. And you know what I'm saying, where we we have this notion that, hey, most men like that attention. No, I don't like the attention. I've had attention my whole life. I'm, I'm not always looking for attention. I don't want you to touch me and I don't want you in my space. So I think a lot of times we have to have these conversations so we know where we stand with that with the person that we're engaging with. Yeah. Yeah. I think we also need Tyrone. I, I so thank you for all, all of that. I think the addition that I would make to that is that if a person is not consent, still even goes into that person being ready to have that conversation. That's true too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, and I can. Yeah. So that's and all. That I was my question. So how do how do you how do we get to the point where we can have a conversation? What does that initiate look like? What do what what do we have to become to be able to say something like what's that transformation like that's my question because yes we know it can be black and white right and that's we yeah. yes we know it can be nuanced for instance if i'm flirting with a man that i don't know if he's gay or not and the the first the first flirt that i throw at him it goes i think it goes over his head goes over his head or he responds that is that consent you understand what i mean is that consent for me to flirt more yeah yeah, I, you understand. I mean, so it's, those it, things are nuanced. But then, when you really get to where somebody now, in certain situations, if I'm flirting with Phil, Phil's about a hundred pounds more than me, maybe a little less. If I say something wrong to Phil, I might get hurt. You understand what I mean? So, but I'm the one making the advance. So, yeah. where is the nuance there? Like, what what kind of um, antenna do I have to have up? And I know I have the antenna up all the time, but I'm saying somebody else, if it's a male-female relationship, you don't even have no antenna up because you're just flirting. You're throwing your best shots. You're throwing your best shots. You don't have no perception that you might get hurt. Yeah. But yeah. are you reading their body language? Because I feel yeah, like yeah. body language speaks volumes to me. Like, if somebody's flirting with me, I'm not flirting back. I'm saying something when I'm not saying absolutely anything. 
Yeah, and I it's agree. just but that's game. the answer. That's the answer to my question, though. Like, how do we? How do we learn that? You you have to start paying attention. To other men so, have to start paying attention to more than what they think they deserve yeah, or what they want in the I moment. Agree. And and I hate I to make this an all lives matter moment, but no, we all do. We all need to yeah. to to be paying attention to what body language is saying. Um, I I know me personally. There's been times where again I'm not going to you know make it seem like you know uh, it happens all the time. But I've definitely been you know physically accosted. I've I've had especially when I had some muscles, eh? Right? I, you know I've had <laughs> I've had comments made about me that were uncomfortable and 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 various things that that take place. And I don't want to you know minimize uh men when we're the ones um being the individual who's looked upon in in this way right because again the conversation and it tends to be one-sided and i don't want to lose sight of that i think body language is an important thing when i've worked with children as a therapist and understanding body language it's a it's a difficult arduous process and having them understand but with that what happens is we need it typically takes a lot of interactions, right? It takes a lot of interactions. It takes a lot of life experience. But if we think about we're not really socialized to learn how to interact with one another to from a from an early age. Right. When we think about the classroom setting, I think about the calls that I get from, you know, from my daughter's school from time to time and her engaging with kids within in the classroom setting Um and so we're, they're not typically trying to teach things such as proximity, right? What that looks like, eye contact, what that looks like, um, what resistance looks like, right? What somebody, you know, what folded arms might look like and how that's a measure, a measure of resistance. We typically are left to, up to our own devices to learn. And, and those who have a desire just for knowledge in itself and understanding and awareness. And again, it comes from a lot of interactions with people. We tend to be ones to, to seek that out. But even with that, we still get it wrong, right? We, yeah. for me, I'm super aware. I'm hyper aware, right? Because I don't want to put myself in situations. And again, I think that these extremes that where we are now, you hope that at some point, that the shift, you know, that's taken place since the Me Too movement, that there was an extreme that was necessary to say, yo, this shit is fucked up, right? And so you need to be mindful of everything that you do. But with everything, you hope that this extreme starts to come back and we start to say, okay, that we, you know, we, we were offered a little bit more grace, right? When it, when it comes to situations like this, I, w- I want to see what Victor has to say. You have to want enthusiastic consent the same way you want the physical connection. Also, body language is not a good practice because how people recognize body language, culture, and bias dictates how f- folks view them. Also, what about those with autism? Again, it's just, it's a tool, right? I, I don't think we're necessarily saying that it's, that it's the end all be all, but body language is definitely a tool when we talk about the the idea of of consent. You you might have just tuned in, Victor, uh, but and I don't mean to call you Victor like I'm your pop, but <laughs> but we were talking about the idea of consent when it comes to handshakes, when it comes to hugs. You've hugged me, Victor, right? I don't necessarily know if you've asked me right for a hug, but I hug you because I, you're somebody I'm familiar with, and it's all love, but. You know, so when again, when I talk about the idea of, of nuance, it comes to those day to day things that may be innocuous to us. 
right? That maybe we need to be mindful of or maybe not. Now, now shifting gears, I don't want to keep y'all on for five hours. This is how we end up in the group for, for as long as we do. Uh, I, I want to talk about the idea of accountability because I think in the in the podcast that we were referencing earlier, they were talking about how do you hold people accountable when it comes to when it comes to the idea of behaviors associated with uh, with rape culture. So I could I could say for me, you know, using I statements, right? I haven't been one to always hold my peers accountable because I wasn't comfortable in self. I wasn't comfortable in the relationships that that I had, right? I was worried about um you know, peer acceptance. And so we talk about those ages during your your formative years. So we're talking about, you know, adolescence and you during your teens and your 20s. So if we're out at a club and a, a homie of mine, he likes to just kiss girls on the mouth. Right. And we think it's funny. And then it's like as we as we evolve, as we, I become more comfortable in self to even speak out about it, because, again, laughing is is being in agreement with the behavior. And so for me, I know personally, again, this idea of accountability took for me to become comfortable with self. And now where I am is it's just like, nah, that's not cool. Right. Or even with myself. Listen, I might might touch somebody on the shoulder. I might say, oh, did you ask for consent? Did you ask them how they're feeling? Right. And not just assume. So what does accountability look like uh, for you guys? We can start with you, Mike, because you've been kind of quiet over there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think the one thing like is that kind of jumping off what you just said with not minimizing men in the conversation is that we don't just want to hold individual people accountable. This also comes back to what Zane was talking about with the, everything being transactional is we have to hold society accountable. This is a societal problem that is constantly messaged and taught to everybody in society. Right. So it's it's not just. I got to call someone out. I have to, now this might be the social worker in me coming out, but like (laughs) I have to look at how do I, how do I affect change to, to the systems of oppression that are in this country? Cause listen, the way it's set up misogyny, patriarchy, that benefits the top. Right. And not having difficult conversations and like, listen, why aren't parents having the difficult conversation? Is it just that they're uncomfortable or is it because they're working two jobs? Is it because there's it's not a it, they don't have enough money to get by? It's because they're scratching through poverty. So, like, for me, accountability is yes, I may be a social worker, but guess what? I also think of myself as a sex educator, right? And that means like I need to be teaching consent, right? I need to be teaching it autonomy. Just for like a shout out, there's a lot of good books out there right now for kids, and I'm talking about like age six and up that really do a good job of illustrating consent, illustrating uh, gender diversity, illustrating body diversity that are great tools that parents can use to like minimize the uncomfortability, right? Cause you can actually point to a book that's doing it for you. Um, so yeah. And then like in f- friend reactions, I've always been a, uh, I'm not afraid of an uncomfortable conversation. Simple as that. I won't call out, but I will, I will dig, right? I will, I will push this to a point where there's a point for learning. And then for myself, for accountability, I start with my wife, right? 
if my wife calls me out on something that's residue from like the patriarchal society I live in, I leave myself open to learn. Simple as that. Yeah. I don't I don't get defensive. I go, this is a learning moment. You got to learn from this. Yeah. But go ahead, Dr. Ross. I, I want I want to get your take on just this idea. I know you got to get ready to roll. Seeing as though it's what, 930? Man, we roll. I appreciate your brother's time. Um, so just this idea of accountability. And I'll throw allyship in for you since your time is is running low. No, I appreciate it, uh, dear brother. And um, I think what, you know, I echo what Michael's saying is that accountability starts with you uh, individually. And I love what you said earlier, like we're not perfect people and we can't, we can't expect ourselves to be perfect. And, but if we're growing and evolving as people, as humans, as men, um, we have to, we have to look at our emotional intelligence. And that's what I was, you know, thinking about as uh, Tyrone and Zane were talking about you thinking about our own emotional intelligence and that, and being able to read and understand the situations that we're in that will help us. But it, if we can't hold anybody else accountable until we start holding ourselves accountable, because what happens if we're going to be beacons of light for men around the world, we don't want cat stones being cast back at us. Right. You can't call people out and be like, yo, yo, dog, uh, that, that's some horrible behavior that they can point their fin. Well, remember when you were doing this? I, I just saw you doing that. And so. I think a level of accountability starts with how are you working every day to be the best version of yourself when it comes to your interactions with people and how are you limiting, limiting and working to not dehumanize people? Uh, I think when it comes to allyship, uh, as my, my homeboy talks about, you have to have empathy and you only, you only work through empathy by living and walking and walking as much as you can in other people's shoes. And so listening to people, Right. Listening to people and their lived experiences and going out right with them, you know, being in spaces that you may be uncomfortable with. Right. So uh, I have a good friend when we travel, you know, when we travel, you know, we make sure to go to the other. We make sure to go to gay bars. So I can actually you know, feel that level of uncomfort like he's like, we're always doing heterosexual things. Right. Mm. You have for me to understand what, what it means to be a gay man. Right. It means that I have to I have to sit in my discomfort to to learn empathy so I can be an ally, because if you can't do that, if you have no empathy for the other people's lived experiences, you can't be an ally. You can't be an accomplice. You can't be a partner. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, you, you bring up a great point when we talk about the idea of empathy, especially when it comes to men. I forgot what study I, I was reading. Uh but it was just like, especially when it comes to men, right? You have to relate the, if you want them to truly empathize, you have to relate the experience to an experience that they've experienced, right? And you see the connection take place where they say it might click, right? Instead of saying, oh, you should feel, or, or yo, you need to be more mindful of this, but it's no. Remember when you felt like X, Y, and Z during this experience, now imagine how they might feel. Right. And so the study showed that the, the level of empathy that came for the individual for the situation, it rose exponentially. And so, again, that's something to to be mindful of, because, again, for some it, it may be just a disconnect that may be taking place as to why we might might not be empathizing with the survivor. Right. It just has to be. And I think that goes not only for just men, for people in general, if you can make it relatable. 
right? If you can make it to them specifically, like we could talk about that with this whole COVID-19, right? You still see a lot of people out here saying, yo, effort. I mean, I'm out here. But then when it hits your backyard, that's when it starts to, to really start to resonate, right? So I think you bring up a great point when you talk about this this idea of empathy. Listen, brother, I, I always appreciate you. Uh, make sure everybody tunes into the What's Your Revolution podcast available on all streaming platforms. Thanks, Dr. Charles. Man, it's always Dr. Look, Charles. Nice Thank to meet you. Have a good one, man. Yeah, nice to meet you, man. You too, brothers. Hey, Phil, I just want to say, man, you're doing amazing things, brother. Keep up the work. I appreciate the opportunity to be on with you. Keep spreading your word and knowledge, man. You're a blessing to the world. I appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you. All right. Y'all be good. Peace. You too. All right. So I, I think we talked to Mike. Uh, so now there's this idea of, and I think we could lump them in together because I know, Zane, you probably got to get ready to go to work. This ain't this ain't the group. All y'all are members of the group that come through. So, you know how we get. We might be sitting there for three and a half hours till Uncle Bobby's close. <laughs> um, but just to get your perspective on this idea of accountability and, and allyship before we wrap up. So, so for myself, when we're talking about account, uh, accountability and ally, a lot of times I use my own situation to kind of identify, to kind of help people identify. And, and I do that by storytelling, being vulnerable, uh, that vulnerability and storytelling has allowed people to kind of gravitate towards me and kind of like uh, taking stock what's being said to them. Because I, I, you know, I, anybody that knows me, I give you the ugly about me in my in my past behavior. So, you know, I'm the poster child of bad boy or, the, or that kind of bad behavior or that womanizing or uh, all those things I talk about. So it's Literally, I'm not one to shy away from uh, what I would consider to be uh, those tough conversations. I have no problem calling someone out on uh, behavior that I consider to be inappropriate. You know, and a lot of times I use those conversations. And, you know, Phil, we've, we've talked about the celebrities, you know, how people give them a pass because of their celebrity or because yeah. they look like us. I don't give anybody a pass. For me, it's either right or wrong. You don't get a pass because you have a million dollars in your account and you're a celebrity. Bad behavior is bad behavior because your behavior can be harmful to someone else. And that harm can impact someone else in a way that doesn't allow for them to recover for X amount of time. It might. So I talk about all the ugly stuff. Uh, and, and in terms of uh, ally, yeah, I. I, I I think it's important for us to become allies, uh, to practice allyship and to to even show our vulnerability to women and support women in a way that allows them to see, hey, not all men are like that. There are some good brothers out there. There are some brothers that are changing their behavior because they're changing their messaging. You know, with I think having these conversations, we've all taught each other something in those groups that we didn't know prior to going to the group. So I think it's gonna take a lot of conversations, a collection of conversations, it's gonna take a lot of vulnerability and a lot of empathy. As uh, the doc said, it's gonna take a whole lot of empathy and being mindful of where other people are at and where they're not at. And then being sensitive to what they're struggling with. All those things are important to our healing communities. It's, it's, it's really important. Word. You know, uh, I share my sensitivity. I mean, the good, bad and ugly. Yeah. And I think that helps other brothers identify with me because they see that 
I'm not wearing a mask. I took my mask off a long, long time ago. You know, so I talk about those ugly feelings. And I think it's okay to be uncomfortable and uncertain as men. We have to talk about these things because it gives men permission and we get uh, we get an opportunity to create safe spaces where men can say, yeah. oh, wow, I thought it was just me. Yeah, yeah, I, again, and, uh, you know, hence the reason why, you know, we have the group, we have Mondays, just because, again, you know, we recognize that we live in a, 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 a what does Bell Hooks call it? Uh, patriarchal, capitalistic, uh, white supremacy, white patriarchal, society. capitalistic society, right? But still, we still catch the short end of the stick at times, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And so it's important where we, we can be amongst one another. No, the language might not be perfect, right? But I think we need to focus in on the, the desire, right? The desire to learn, the desire to want to quote unquote be better. Like we really okay. need to honor that, right? We could work on how it comes across, and uh, again, but he, you know, and you know, a guy, you guys know that I use the example of that. You know, if a brother comes to the group, he said he might say, "This bitch get on my nerves." We know in in outside society, in general society, listen, he's going to be shamed to the point where he's not going to even want to even discuss further as to what he means. Right. And so, yes, we can address the B word, but first we want to understand, well, why she get on your nerves and then what makes you so comfortable to call her the B word. Right. But we, we have to be, we have to allow people the opportunity. And I think where we are as a society, no, we live in cancel culture. If you say one wrong word, we hopping down your throat and you know, we miss the forest for the trees. You know what I'm saying? So, no, nah, definitely appreciate you, brothers. Zane, I did give you an opportunity to go. No, I mean, I, I agree with... Um, I think I'm working... I think by working on myself and trying to see where I can be better, uh, you know, a better empath, a better understanding of myself and how my actions affect other people. And I'm, I'm not afraid of a, an intense conversation. You know that. Um, so... When when I do have the opportunity to, you know, have conversations that counter aggressive male culture or uh, ways we see women, I do. And then sometimes I choose not to. And that's that's in context. You know what I mean? Is 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 people that well, I'm not going to make excuses for myself. So I, sometimes I think I have to get better at that when to engage, when not to engage. But I think when I feel safe to engage, I engage. And when I put a magnifying glass up against myself, I think that that's helpful, too. You know what I mean? So holding myself accountable, holding people that are close to me accountable and then trying to learn from my mistakes and also trying to grow with every conversation that I have. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm 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 always trying to, to be better at understanding somebody else's situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess, uh, wait, did, I don't know if Mike, you got an opportunity. I know you talked about accountability. Did you want to comment on allyship? Yeah, I, Tron, allyship. Uh, I mean, I, I think Dr. Charles hit on a good point with the empathy idea. And the one thing that's happened in our society is we have gotten so diverse in our identities, right? So diverse. But we've also, through that diversity, we've become very inclusive communities that are very small right and sometimes we're not able to interact in some way because there is less space right 
we don't allow messiness in learning when it comes mm. to this stuff like you talked about with the cancel culture yeah but i think like for me it's honoring another human right whatever their whatever their humanity expresses itself as whatever their path has been i i expect to greet every person i greet that they have some kind of trauma in their background right mm. it's just it's almost guaranteed so if i'm approaching somebody as if they're dealing with some kind of trauma or some kind of struggle i'm going to come from a space where i'm going to be careful in my language where i'm going to be careful in my the way I emote, where I'm going to be careful in my verbal, like nonverbal, how am I standing? Am I staying in an aggressive way? Um, so I think for me, like, that's kind of like my lead is like, expect that someone's dealing with something yeah. and approach in the right way. Yeah. Absolutely. Word. Uh, and, and I guess I'll, I'll wrap it up by saying, you know, when we talk about this idea of, of accountability, um, I mean, again, I, I always run every scenario through my head a thousand times. And even, even then I still might not get it right, but sh you know, I holding myself accountable, but not holding myself hostage by some of the decisions that I may make out here. Because again, we're, we're human. We are fallible. Um, surrounding myself with people um, who will hold me accountable. Uh, I, I know my my women friends. Uh, I I don't think I was the one that said female. You know what I mean? Because I, I think I didn't got skewered like like seventy five times by Kosawa and by you know uh, Stephanie and and a, a few other women who who I look to um, for for guidance in in certain areas as well as uh, other brothers, right? Um, so again, it's, it's surrounding myself with people who also have a desire to not only grow themselves, but to see me grow. Uh, I think who you surround yourself means a lot. But again, I can't begrudge somebody who's not in that position to surround themselves with people to, to see them grow. Right. Because, we, you know, we talked about social workers. Mike hit on it. Um, you know, recognizing that everybody's trauma is different. Everybody's timeline is different. Right. And still holding space and that grace necessary for them. So. While still in the midst of, you know, having teachable moments with others and, and what have you, even if right then in that moment, they might not get it. So they might not get it the first time, but I, I can't I can't afford to throw the baby out with the bathwater. The, the good homie Greg Corbin um he always says, listen, we can't cancel people, black folk, especially because we can't afford to. Right. We're not necessarily in a position where we can. Right. So, yes, we might want more for our brother and for our sister, but we're just not necessarily in a position, especially where I am as, as a person in my growth. And and what I said that my desire, and what my passion is, which is helping other people. Right. When we talk about allyship, again, you know, echoing. Of what Dr. Charles said, this idea of of empathy, recognizing that, you know, other people's life experiences matter. It does. Right. They matter. Um, they might not necessarily be mine. I might not necessarily agree with their choices, their life decisions, but still taking that into account uh, when I'm showing up in, a, in another's life. Right. And so, uh, again, it's just not being a bystander. 
not being a bystander. I was a bystander for a very long time. And so what I recognized for me personally, I had to unlearn a lot of the unhealthy tenets that hip hop taught me. That Because again, I talk about that being one of the biggest influencers for, for black males. Um, and just recognizing again, that if I desire to have healthy relationships with people, then I, I can't afford not to be an ally. <laughs> right. Again, we talk about this transactional piece. We all desire to get to a certain place. And so even at a basic level, if we talk about transactional, it it'll pay for me to be an ally and not be an opposition to another person at a bare minimum. Right. So, yeah. And just respecting the humanity and, and others, man. Listen, I, I appreciate you all. I, you know, Mike. Tyrone, Zane, I appreciate you brothers for tuning in. I appreciate the listeners for, for tuning in for this hour and 45 minutes. I think it was a great conversation. It never ends here. This is an ongoing conversation. That's another way that we continue to be allies and hold people accountable by continuing to have these uncomfortable conversations. I know some of the comments had me in my feelings for a second, right? But I had to t- <laughs> I, I keep it real because I'm human, but I had to take a step back. Right. And say, listen, if somebody offering pushback, that's a beautiful thing. Right. Because if I say my goal and my desire is to grow. Right. How can I how can I not at least think about it? How can I not at least think about it? So, again, I, I appreciate you all for, for tuning in. Um, 